Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. I'm a two for Tuesday type of guy. It's Taco Tuesday. Well, it's not, you know, we say that we release this thing on Wednesdays. So who cares what kind of Tuesday it is, Jay? It's tomorrow already. Right. You're listening to this. Um, well, I was just uh, saying I'm a two for Tuesday guy. Uh, you're a two for Tuesday guy. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm all about a value, my friend. Uh, speaking of value, we got a lot of valuable podcast industry uh, info for you today uh, as we prepare for podcast movement coming up in a couple of weeks. You, you and I were just saying off the air, seems a little bit like a slow news week. It does seem like people are kind of stacking up things to make that big splash at podcast movement. Most of the big companies will be there, of course, and uh, they'll likely have some new announcements. But it's almost everybody I have something new to promote and push uh, during that week. Uh, one correction or update, I guess, from what we covered last week, Jay, we talked about the Apple podcast categories and how they weren't showing up anywhere. Effectively, they had just disappeared altogether from the app. They are back. Our long national nightmare is over. <laughs> yes, they're back. And uh, the Apple podcasts have really taken a different look now. There's a lot of different changes. Uh, for one, new and noteworthy is only on the front page. It's no longer category specific. Uh, so there's that. The different subcategories to the major category. So, for instance, I, I we've talked a lot that I'm a sports podcaster. My show is specifically football-based. You actually have to scroll through the sports category down the page to find the football subcategory. They don't have a drop-down menu to go specifically to those subcategories. I wonder if that will change when Catalina... Uh, I don't practice Catalina. Uh, I'm going to do that every single time. Uh, I don't know if that will change when Catalina comes out. I hope it does because that was obviously a little bit more effective way I found to go through the subcategories. Uh, you can't find my show anyway on any of the top charts, which is frustrating and annoying. But the categories that I am in are all on the bottom of the page. And I also know that people do not scroll through stuff. So it's still, you know, we talked about uh, what thirty-two thousand people we're gonna get? <laughs> we're gonna get some new promotion based on these changes, and that might might be the case. But ultimately, the way that things are laid out currently in the app, that's it's probably a little over overblown. Don't want to overhype that. Well, yeah, it's not it's not gonna work out exactly like we thought it was. I think it is gonna still work out well overall for podcasting in general. I think that this is. I personally, this is a much more pleasant app to use as you go through it. It it looks better. Things seem to make more sense as you flow through the different you know areas and and uh, highlighted sections of the app. But again, I don't use the Apple Podcast app as my primary listening place anyway. Uh, this is about those sort of quote unquote average listeners. And I think it's a good thing for them. I think this is going to be a better experience. I think it's going to be a, a more full-featured podcast app for your average user. Um, Jay, let's get into the news this week. Uh, that is our big update. Uh, oh, one little small thing before we get into the major things. I want to say congratulations to uh, Lipsyn this week on a uh, relaunched, redesigned front page of their website. Now, uh, it's interesting because the big knock, the only knock I think that you can really have against Libsyn for the past year and a half or so as a podcast producer would be that their UI is not as updated, as fancy, as modern looking as some of the newer hosting providers, that they have not been quite as fleet with redesigns, you know, as, as swift to catch on to current trends in web design and things like that. Uh, that is apparently coming down the pike. Elsie was saying, Elsie Escobar on the feed, uh, their uh, official podcast was mentioning in the last episode that there were some behind the scenes changes, things you're not going to notice, but a bunch of that was in prep for a large sort of a, I, I, don't, I don't think it's 2.0, I think it's like 3.0 or 4.0 of Libsyn, but a, a whole new overhauled uh, back end. And I think this front page design is indicative of what we're going to see. I think, I think these are all of a piece. If you look at their stats redesign that happened a while back and you look at this front page, those sort of go together. I think there's probably going to be tweaks on the stats, redesign, uh, stats page as well to match the overall feel. But you can see it kind of coming together. So kudos to Libsyn for uh, for getting with it and for um, updating. I know that's not easy to do, particularly when you think about all of How the many back people are end. Yes. I mean, like the 
the massive amount of data that they're pumping through their system, not just on a daily basis, but on a momentary basis, like a moment to moment basis. And the fact that none of that can fail or downgrade, et cetera, et cetera, while they're also trying to make changes. I can understand why it can be, you know, a behemoth to work with. And think of this, Joel, I, I sort of liken it a little bit to podcast editing, not a hundred percent to that because most podcast editors who are using some sort of digital audio uh, workflow, uh, they get used to a certain DAW, and when they work on it for a long time, and then they try to work on another one, while there might be some things that the producers of this other DAW have decided are easier, because you're so used to the other workflow, it becomes difficult to sort of make that change, and I would sense similarly with any sort of update of the UI while they might make a change that makes it seem like this is going to be a lot easier to do moving forward, you've become accustomed to the way that you've been doing it for years, and now you've got to make a change to your workflow. That can't be. That's not going to be easy. Their support team is definitely going to be stretched thin uh, during that period of time, but ultimately, it will be for the better. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, yeah, I like the I like the new look. I think I'm going to like the new back end as much as I use it for clients. I I am very hopeful that it is whenever they up, update it that it's an improvement, not just a redesign. So I don't mind them taking their time to get it right. Um, Pod, if I ask you who was the biggest name in podcasting. Who would you have guessed? Now, you and I know this information. You sent it to me a couple of days ago. But who would you have guessed last week was the most well-known name in podcasting? Pod Vader. <laughs> yeah, but after him, of oh, course. okay, okay. After Pod Vader. Um, I actually would not have guessed this one. I would have guessed Adam Carolla. Uh, but I guess Adam has sort of taken a back seat here to to the number one gentleman. I think, I think Adam is one of, if not the best known within podcasting. But I think Joe Rogan, who is the, uh, the spoiler alert here, the actual <laughs> name as found in this article. Uh, I, I think it makes sense that he would be the top recognized name overall for podcasting. If you had asked me last week, I might've said Mark Marin. I, th I think mm. about the combination of his TV show that is sort of based on and around the podcast, and then also the idea that um, he was not a no-name comedian, but a very low-level comedian prior podcasting. And then because of the show, he's expanded and his brand is sort of well-known. And now, you know, he can do comedy specials and he can sell out comedy events, et cetera. Et cetera. He's, you know, a working actor now on a regular basis as well. All of those things came because of the podcast. And so it might seem to me like if, yeah, if you'd asked me a week ago, I might've said, well, it might be Marin. Joe Rogan makes total sense though. And you and I talked about it last week in that Joe is one of those names that is almost bigger than the actual medium. The idea of podcasting is what people know from him. They know that he has that show on YouTube. They know that this guy that used to be on, you know, news radio and that does the UFC that they don't really watch except that lady knows right. that he has a podcast. Now, if she knows what a podcast is, that's a secondary question that's not asked in this article. Uh, Coleman insights, by the way, is the one who put this out. They, they, but uh, they do know a what a study. podcast is because the study is of a thousand 18 to 64 year old monthly podcast listeners. Ah, uh, good point. Which good was point. conducted in May, 2019. Now it's only a thousand, I would say the sample size is probably too small. Um, but basically what they asked them is to name as many podcasts as they could think of, regardless of whether they listen to them or not. And Joe Rogan uh, was mentioned by 14% of all the respondents, which was number one by quite a bit. Serial was in second place at 6%. Now, this is, again, of only 1,000 people. So you can do the math. What is that? That's 140 people? Uh, ish. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about 100 so it's 140 people out of 1000 named the Joe Rogan experience uh whereas only 6 named serial. Interesting thing to me there is This American Life is the only one of these shows that has regular radio rebroadcasts. Hmm. You know that that's interesting that again like a general the survey Daily like does. this. The Daily has regular radio broadcasts now too. They run on NPR as well? Yes, in the evening. Huh. 
I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's at 5 p.m. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think this makes sense, though. And it shows... I mean, and look, this isn't really available for everybody, but it shows one reason why the entertainment world is so enamored with podcasting, I think, because people like Joe, people like Mark Marin, have completely changed their reputation and status in Hollywood without the approval or help or acceptance of any traditional like nobody helped them do this mark and his producer just did it joe and his group just started putting out the show you know nobody has oversight over what he can say or what guests he has on and because of that he can be completely joe rogan mark Marin can be as mark Marin as he wants to be and yet they've built that brand to the place where they can take that back into mainstream projects. I mean, Mark Marin was on glow continues to be right. It's in his third season now or fourth season. Now, you know, he's making good money on that. That will be a springboard. He's had several film projects in the last couple of years too, that he just wouldn't have had otherwise, you know, Joe, probably never would have left the UFC. I mean, that gig would have been there, period. But the UFC is a niche within... That is a small niche within the sports world, even. And his profile would not have gotten outside of it without podcasting. That is a huge boon to our industry and should be an example to any entertainment personality. If you're having a problem breaking through... I think especially about minority voices. If you're having a problem breaking through, if you're not getting the opportunities that you know you know, you quote unquote deserve, Hey, I'm just as gifted as that actor. I'm just as talented as that singer, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know why I'm not getting off. I don't know why I'm not happening. I don't know why I'm getting my chance. Make your chance. Look at that. <laughs> well, yeah. but even look at that. Joe Rogan's only 14%, 140 people out of a thousand said Joe Rogan. So th- this was a point that was brought up by the Coleman Insights president, Warren Kurtzman. He said, quote, this study makes the importance of branding and podcast crystal clear. On the one hand, we see how big of a brand Joe Rogan has relative to every other podcasting brand. On the other, the leading brand is top of mind with only 14% of podcast listeners. And he started a show 10 years ago, figuring out how to cut through and be memorable is a real and daunting, but exciting challenge for podcasters. So, and that's, and, and you brought up this American Life, which came in a tie for third with, with my favorite murder and the Daily and and some of the others. It we have there are a lot of shows out there. We mention all the time there are seven hundred thousand podcasts in Apple Podcasts. Not all of them are alive. Uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, it's probably the active number of shows is around two hundred and fifty thousand. That's still a huge amount of shows that are delivering to niche audiences. Think of John Lee Dumas. He's a huge name in the podcasting landscape. Doesn't get mentioned here at all. I know he's got huge downloads. I know he's got huge numbers. There are other shows that I know of that have ginormous numbers. And if I talked about those particular shows with you, you'd be like, what? I've never heard of that show ever. So I think there's there is definitely sort of a fractioning of where all these numbers place. And as the big corporations start coming into the space, they know that their brand name, ESPN brand, brings ginormous eyeballs and earballs simply because it says ESPN. So if you have a big brand, you're going to stand out amongst all of the other shows that are on the Apple Podcast app. That's just simple science. You're absolutely right, Jay. I will say just to play a slight devil's advocate, I don't think that it's any harder to stand out amongst the crowd uh, in podcasting than it is in traditional media. I think about, I heard a, an announcement today about one of the shows that I enjoy on Netflix, uh, Netflix's series, The OA. Uh, it's just had two seasons completed. I think the last, the second season came out maybe the first of the year or something. And they announced today that it's been canceled. They're not going to come back for a third season. There is so much television, and the OA is an amazing series. I mean, it is really, like, revelatory in a lot of ways, and yet I haven't recommended it to that many people. You know why? Because it's strange, and there are literally a million TV shows for everybody to keep up on on a regular basis. Like, it's you got to be a very particular kind of person for me to suggest this show to you that you're going to enjoy it over all the other things that you have to watch. That doesn't diminish in any way the quality of that content that was produced, and you know, the right. cool thing about digital medium, and this is true for podcasting too, unless you're a news format, 
you'll exist forever. You're there forever, right? So anyone yep. can go five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and still find value and and discover the OA, those first two seasons sitting there on Netflix. Same can be true for your podcast. Uh, if it's not, I mean, if it is evergreen content, that's not true for everybody, I suppose. But uh, anyway, I don't think that it's that much harder for a, a new podcast to get out there and find its audience than it is for any creative medium, honestly, to find its audience. No, but you're going to have a big head start if you've got a big brand name right off the bat. Yes, yes, you're absolutely. Or if you've got a big brand name that's pushing you as well. Like right. in the case of the OA, if if that was a, a highly valued thing for Netflix, Netflix could put it on the top of everybody's panel and pretty quickly the OA would be renewed for a third season, wouldn't it? They didn't do mm-hmm. that. They, they prized other Netflix original content over it. Um, Jay, let's move on to the next story here. There's some interesting movement, and and I read this, and then I've read some of the reaction, and then I've gone back and read the article again to try to see if if I understand it one way or the other, or if I think one person has it right, maybe. Podsites.com made an announcement on the 5th that they are releasing an open downloads spec. The idea is that this is built on what is there as far as the data understanding and the algorithms, et cetera, et cetera, in IAB 2.0, but is inherently meant to be open sourced and therefore free to use, available for even individuals to use if they want to, and most importantly, available to add on or to expand and improve over time by the general public. Everybody that's interested can take a hold of this add to it, grow it, expand it, improve it over time. And the idea is that this could be the answer for that magic pizza shop question. And how do we get to a real apples versus apples analogy? This is a tough one because this again goes back to the whole idea of we need a trade organization because there are simply companies that will never, ever, 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 be able to afford the price tag it's going to take to be IAB certified. Now, there are some companies that are IAB certified that have smartly said, hey, I've got, I'm IAB certified, I've got a solution for you, and you can pay me way less than the $45,000 it's going to cost you to become IAB certified through the IAB. It's tough, man, because on one hand, you kind of have to have that big dollar sign to get the right to get everything right, right? To, to, to make it certified, to get the right third party to do the work, to make sure everything is copacetic, so to speak. At the same time, podcasting was founded on the whole idea of it's open, it's free, everybody can come in and join it. I guess what it really comes down to is, are you looking to sell advertising on your podcast or not? If you're not, then the answer for you is you don't care what your download numbers are. You simply don't. Your success is going to be measured by the amount of interaction that you have with the people uh, that are listening to your podcast or by the number of people that are coming to buy your product specifically. So if you don't want any advertising on your on your show, you don't care about IAB certification. If you do want advertising on your podcast and you are looking to serve those those type of podcasters as a podcast host company, then unfortunately right now you got to pony up. And if you're not going to pony up to the IAB, you're going to have to find a way to become IAB certified or present IAB certified stats because eventually these advertisers simply will not work with you because they're going to look at at your stats versus another and they're going to be like, well, your stats are two to three times larger than what we're seeing from this company, which provides us IAB certification. We trust the certification. We're not going to trust your numbers. And I I hate to call it sort of like a, it is what it is, but it kind of is what it is. All right. So the, this got posted in a bunch of the Facebook groups I saw uh, yesterday. And in particular, uh, Rob Walsh was one of the ones that I saw strike back against it. He used some text off of the site. If you go to podsites.com and you click, um, you go to their, like their homepage, 
at the top, it says built for podcasters loved by advertisers. Podsites Analytics is the first product to connect podcast <laughs> downloads with on-site activity, giving podcast podcasters and advertisers unprecedented insights into the effectiveness of their campaigns. And Rob's statement was this is not GD. PR compatible. Uh, it's not uh, privacy compatible, basically. It won't work in the EU because it's against their regulations and it's stalking of your listeners, which is something that he's been very, very avid against uh, in the recent past, especially because this is something that a lot of different companies are trying to do pixel tracking and different things uh, that they're trying to do to be able to better target and understand exactly where these downloads are going. And I in some way, I've generally, I think he overreacts about it. In some ways, I do hear what he's saying. And I also worry about podcasters' ability, and I've said it here on this show before, podcasters' ability to track every single use of the file I don't think is going to help us create better content. I think it's going to lower CPMs potentially and, and sort of like a race to the bottom in many ways, like web advertising did generally. My question, though, is James Cridlin answers him right back and says, Rob, that has nothing to do with the way that the open download spec is currently built. I don't know enough about the code to argue with either one of them. Right. But I don't think that Rob does either, actually. I think Rob's <laughs> basing his statement on that line of text, and that line of text is sort of open for interpretation in lots of ways. Uh, it is very interesting to me to see how this goes, to see whether it's adopted by any of the smaller companies that haven't yet become IB, um, you know, compliant. Uh, and, uh, and there is no such thing process. as compliancy. You know what I'm certification. That's the word. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, the, that's, that's the word I was looking for. 45 grand is a lot of money. And what I, I knew that it was, I knew that it was some amount of money. I did not know the number was 45,000. So I also didn't know that it has to be renewed. It's yeah. not 45,000 every time, is it? Uh, so to become an IAB member, it is a $10,000 yearly membership fee that needs to be renewed. The extra thirty five thousand in that price, it could be it could be anywhere up to that particular price, depending on how many podcasters you are serving and how much uh, money you're actually making from those particular podcasts. So it's it's all revenue. The price is all revenue based on how much capital you're actually making that goes towards that price tag. So the price tag isn't necessarily forty five thousand, but most are probably going to experience that sort of bill. I, yeah, I am all for an alternative to the IAB's system. If that's what it takes to get in, if that's the table stakes, I agree. I don't self-host my files. I have no interest in self-hosting any of my files, but I agree with their central point that the IAB's model immediately says no one that wants to sell advertising is ever going to be able to self-host. That's just not a thing that you're going to be able to do and because you're not going to be able to pay the IAB certification on your own, no matter what your tech stack is. So I'm, I'm with them. I'm, I'm down for this. I want to hear more. I want to, I want to, I want to hear James Cridlin explain the code to me. <laughs> I want to hear James Cridlin tell me why this isn't individual user tracking and why it's not a privacy violation. Here's the other, here's the other problem though, that comes from all of this. And Rob brought up this example on the feed talking about, a podcaster who claimed that, you know, they could deliver 10,000 unique listeners in one particular local metro area. He went and looked at their podcast and they had 83 total downloads to their podcast. And that was global. So a little bit, a little different between 83 and 10,000 in one concentrated metro area. They also mentioned that they had 5,000 uh, members on their email list that they could reach out to, to, you know, continue the advertising. This is the sort of game that's going on right now and why a lot of companies come in and they term podcasting the quote unquote wild, wild west, because there are independent podcasters that will do this, that will, that are either outright lying about their numbers or they're using numbers that aren't relevant to what it's actually being counted. So they'll use like page views, for instance, and you know that page views doesn't necessarily mean the number of different people that are reading an article. It, it can all be gamed through bots and, and things of that nature. And that's sort of what the IAB certification process is weeding out. It's weeding out 
a lot of those bots. It's it's creating, uh, it's it's creating a system that everybody can use at the exact same time, so that we are all, you know, we're comparing the exact same way of counting pizza slices. Although we've already found out through Daniel J. Lewis's research that people are still counting the pizza slices differently. So, I. It, Hopefully that this can get improved at some point. Does it have to cost $45,000 per company? I would hope not. But if that's what the answer is right now, then we better start embracing it. Or else you're going to find an independent podcaster that's going to go to an advertiser. And the advertiser is just going to be like, hell no, I ain't paying you that. I It's very, very interesting. To, I'm excited to see where this goes. I mean, the... You know that's one of their arguments. The Podsite says that a the IAB certified companies, two IAB certified companies, could still be as much as ten percent different in their counting of downloads. That that is that's pretty significant when you're talking about millions of downloads potentially. Um, let's move on to the next one, Jay Pandora's CEO, who is also SiriusXM CEO. Uh, <laughs> he is all about the podcasting. He likes going to flea markets. <laughs> or at least apparently he he loves going to flea markets because he said that podcasting is quote unquote like a flea market he, so that's that, that that means he loves it right pandora and sirius xm they're all in on podcasting right joel that's what that uh, means no no oh I I think I think what he is offering here is oh. you know it's interesting everybody wants to be the Netflix of podcasting he seems to want to be the flea the, market of podcasting well no he wants to be the um, I'm trying to think of what the example is. I guess like the world not the world who's who's the, was peer one he's the peer oh. one of podcasting he goes to the flea market for us you see the flea market full of 750,000 podcasts and he curates a small ah. selection of 3,000 podcasts which you and I are guaranteed to love you see he calls the quality for us that's pandora's model i see yes um and this does go back to what we were talking about earlier with the with with 14% of people mentioned joe rogan 140 people out of 1000 mentioned joe rogan uh so it's still tough to sort of curate your list how do you find what is the perfect list of podcasts to get the most amount of people's eyeballs when you know, let's take NP, I would I would use the NPR. I would just use NPR, right? Because in that list of people that pointed out shows, Serial was number two at 6%. And then you had 4% for This American Life. You had 4% for The Daily. And I guess those aren't – Serial and The Daily aren't, aren't NPR shows, but they're NPR-like. They're, they're in the same yes. boat. And, yes. and you're probably going to get the most amount of like – eyeballs or earbuds as i like to say to that particular type of content than you are for a scattered bunch of indie podcasts that that could be a comedy show or a true crime show or a sports show or a business show or how many different categories do we have now in apple <laughs> right so i get what he's trying to say he just didn't sound nice it, this is the thing that you got to watch your words carefully when you're getting into the podcasting space because didn't Luminary just pull off the same? They they didn't have the right choice of words, and we all revolted against them. Pandora's getting into this. Libsyn is feeding all of their podcasts to Pandora right now as we speak, and now all of a sudden, oh well, we don't really we think we think this is a flea market. This is you know, and it's, ooh, so it's it's interesting to me. There are a lot of different groups that want different things from podcasting. There is a group of people who want new listeners to discover the current podcasts, <laughs> right? That's us. Podcast producers, on a regular basis, we think to ourselves, how do we find new people to listen to our shows? Uh, then there are companies who say to themselves, podcasting is an advantageous avenue for us to pursue because of our revenue sheets, because of our, our balances, uh, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, I think to a degree, all fall into this category. Their devices or their services are already being paid for. And the more time that they can get users to use those devices to do something that doesn't cost them additional money, 
is a good thing. So if Pandora can use podcasting instead of music streaming, that's cheaper for them. If Spotify can use podcasting instead of music streaming, that's cheaper for them. I think the same thing is true for Apple on a much smaller scale because the dollars don't matter as much to the individual dollars don't matter as much to them as they do for Spotify. But it still matters to Apple that the music service become more and more profitable over time. And Mm -hmm. podcasting is an avenue that they can sort of make that true for themselves in one way or another. Um, So I think it's just like different groups pulling the narrative in different directions. And all of these things are true. We do want more people to listen to podcasting, period. And we and these companies want more specific kinds of people to listen to a podcast, period. And and they don't care so much about the overall pie of podcast listeners growing. They want more people, they want more of their customers listening to podcasts through their apps. That's the only thing that matters to them. And so, again, it's just like different forces, different desires, I think, pulling in different directions. Many of them, I think, work in tangent together in, in different ways. Like, I think those those are not necessarily in competition, those forces or desires. I think those are sort of all generally pulling towards the wider understanding and acceptance and use of podcasts in general by the mainstream public. So that's a good thing, I think. By the way, we we talked last week about the cost of radio transmitters and how radio is just going to find that distributing things digitally is a lot cheaper than buying a giant antenna. How much do you think a satellite costs? Oh man. Joel. <laughs> oh. oh. And I've th- I've thought about Sirius XM uh many well, and not only that, Jay, but the audio quality would likely improve as well. Yeah, and 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 on top of on top of bouncing things off of the satellite, we already know from Edison research that podcasting has surpassed Sirius XM in terms of total listening uh, and share of ear. So I don't know where Jim here, uh, Sirius XM CEO, is talking about podcasting like a flea market. And another, I'm hoping that he really just had a bad choice of words and was trying to use the flea market analogy to talk about how there's a whole bunch of podcasts out there, not sort of using flea market as in <laughs> this podcasting thing like Howard Stern does. Uh, because podcasting has way surpassed SiriusXM. Pandora has wanted to be in the podcasting space for quite some time now. And honestly, I think what they will find is that distributing all of their content digitally is going to be way cheaper than shooting satellites up into space. And SiriusXM is going to have a different distribution model i mean they're already putting stuff digitally uh so it's only a matter of time before sirius xm gets out of the quote-unquote satellite business well stern is one of those that i have been anticipating for a couple of years making the jump and i know all the things that he said about the space but at the same time it's like there's money over here and it would all be yours oh my god i i don't understand how howard stern doesn't understand the amount of money he would make by himself with podcasting. Like, and and the archives, I just, oh, wow. Think about the years that he's been gone from terrestrial radio and people, you know, a lot of people obviously paid for Sirius XM so that they could still listen to Howard Stern. And that was literally all they wanted. They didn't care about all the other channels. They just listened to Howard 24-7. Now they could pay Howard directly. And Howard, all Howard has to do is put up a website. Like, I don't understand how Howard doesn't get this. He'd be making billions of dollars. What it says to me, Jay, and I, I actually said this a couple of years ago, the last time that he signed a new contract with uh, XM, I said then, it says to me that he no longer has the drive that put him to where he is. He's in a different stage of his career mm. where the idea of managing all that empire personally as opposed to just cashing the check is not as interesting. Like it's he, not like he's got cabillions like of dollars. He's well too. taken care of. He's well right. taken care of by the corporation. Like it's if if it was uh ac- if it was um uh if it was aggressive, the the relationship was negative at all. I think he would have bounced. It's clearly it's a positive relationship for him. They take very good care of him. But the idea of taking on the extra headache or risk is not something that he wants anymore. And it's interesting because like 
I never thought, I mean, I'm not a huge Stern fan, but it just seems like that, like boldness and like rebellious nature is so key to the personality that he puts on. And yet I don't think it's there in his actual person anymore. I yeah. Think it's he's gone. been, he's comfortable now. He doesn't, yeah. he, he's, he's got a cabillion dollars. He doesn't need a cabillion more. Um, every, uh, although I'm sure everyone would love to have a cabillion more if they already have a cabillion, but he, he, but you're right. It, it's, he's comfortable and he doesn't need the, he doesn't need the headache. Let the, let, let Sirius XM deal with the headache. And by the way, I know a lot of his uh, value is in the Sirius XM stock. I'd sell it. We, I mean, we've been talking about buying Libsyn. Sell your Sirius XM. <laughs> sell, sell, sell. <laughs> Jay, speaking of, uh, let's move from from one streaming giant there in SiriusXM and Pandora to another. Spotify made some announcements about their revenue and uh, their um, subscriber base. Uh, 9 to 5 Mac has the article here. Spotify paying subscribers hit $110 million by the end of June. That's up 31% year on year. Uh, that compares to 60 million Apple Music subscribers as of the last number that Apple revealed, which was also in June. So uh, Apple Music still about half as big as Spotify. However, as we mentioned earlier, Apple Music is a tiny fraction of one portion of Apple's business. It's in rolled into that services revenue, which, by the way, is up, up and up and up for the first time in, I think, something like seven years this last quarter uh, the iPhone was less than 50% of Apple's business. And one of the big reasons is because the growth of the wearables sector, you know, featuring like AirPods and the watches and the service sector featuring things like Apple Music. So Apple's doing well here too, but they're half as big, basically. Their music business is half as big as Spotify's. However, here's the interesting thing to me, Jay. This number, this total paying subscribers includes a lot of folks that are on the three-month promotional deals, so that you got three mm. months for 99 cents a month. It also includes, of course, student and family deals that are rolled in there as well that lower the individual user price point. So if you look at their revenue per average user, the average revenue per user, ARPU, uh, that's 4.86 pounds or $5.42, uh, excuse me, 4.86 euros. And uh, that, that translates to about $5.42 per user. So that's way lower. It's half price effectively from their standard rate of $9.99. That tells me, first of all, that's a huge number of the 99 cent uh, subscribers, but also it tells mm. me that their um, college plan, their student plan is very popular, and the family plan, which is, I, I looked at that myself actually, it allows for multiple users, and it's like $12, $14, something like that for the whole family. Um, and so effectively, I would get six users then at 15 bucks, breaks down like $3 a piece or something like that, 2 or $3 a piece. Um, so that would lower that number too. I find it hard to believe still. These are great numbers. These are all up, obviously, year over year. That's awesome. I find it hard to believe still that this is a business in and of itself, as large as Spotify appears to be in our minds and in our industry especially. When you look at this, you're just like, I don't know, man. There, I, every time Apple sells an iPhone, it's several hundred dollars, right? And they don't ever have to worry about me doing anything else with that iPhone. Spotify's got to keep me uh, to keep even that $5 or whatever it is coming in a month. That's that's scary ground to be on. But, um, I mean, they are pushing. They are aggressively pushing to maintain this lead and to continue to grow it to the place where they're dominant enough that it makes sense. Well, we talk about people that get it in podcasting. Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify, gets it. He is we talk about all in. He is definitely all in on podcasting and so, and understands where his revenue is coming from. Now, some of the things out of that earnings results, their revenue is up 31% year over year. So you already mentioned that. Their podcast audience grew 50% quarter on quarter and has nearly doubled since the start of the year, uh, which is also very interesting. So more and more people are listening on Spotify. We see that all the time. I know Voxnest has reported there's a number of different countries where Spotify is the number one podcast uh, destination versus Apple uh, in other countries. A lot of that has to do with uh, the uh, presence of Apple 
phones in those other countries. Obviously, uh, that's something to be taken into account. But Daniel also had some of these things to say to the investors when he was asked questions here about advertising, saying, the tech stack in podcasting today is an embedded in RSS feeds. They don't know anything about your likes or dislikes. It's like an FM radio ad. Maybe best you know something about the demo of the audience you're delivering against. And that is something that Spotify can obviously do because they've done it already. They have all your information based on who you are while you're listening to their app. So they know how to deliver this type of targeted advertising that advertisers are begging podcasters for, for whatever reason, they're not begging radio stations for, but they're begging podcasters for it and Spotify can deliver. And now Spotify can scale and become a huge competitor, much bigger than the five or 6%, whatever it is that uh, we learn from what Rob Walsh over at Libsyn, uh, wherever their, you know, spot is as the number two listening destination. Um, something could be happening there and it sounds like they're putting they're turning on their money tree but it may not necessarily be for us it's going to be for them and they're going to benefit tremendously from it there's still no talk of a revenue share with podcasters with the ads that are going to be placed on your show on Spotify. Now, I hope to God they don't do the same thing that YouTube has done, where they'll just randomly place a mid-roll commercial in the middle of content. Because I always ask my kids who watch these YouTube videos, I'm like, why in the world is there an ad in that spot? And they're like, uh, they just put it in there randomly. I'm like, what? that's the worst possible spot to put the ad. Like, wait until the segment is over, then place the ad in this spot where you're making the transition. He finished game one. He's going to game two. Put the ad. Boom. Right there. That makes perfect sense. You can do that on a lot of these other places. But you can't apparently do that on YouTube. So I, I'll say this about that. I don't know if you've noticed what Facebook is doing with their uh, video advertising. Uh, it is my understanding, first of all, that as a creator, you don't have any say-so about the placement of, of Facebook video ads. Mm. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong on that. But they are very... Well, they're frustrating is what they are. But what I have discovered is they are placed algorithmically <laughs> before oh. an exciting portion of the video, like before the thing. So literally, like you get a lot of times you'll get like a two minute intro to the video effectively where they tell you everything that's about to happen. And then before the thing happens and then you've got 45 seconds of denouement, there's an ad that's 15 seconds long and then we're going to come back. If you put that in between transitions, as you're suggesting, then it's easy for me to skip the ad and bounce to a different video. That's but if I have not seen the thing that I clicked on yet anyway, and I've already spent two minutes watching the video, it's worth the 15 seconds wait for me to get what I wanted out of the video anyway. And I, I would crazy. not be surprised at all if YouTube is doing a similar thing. A similar thing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised about that either. Most of the videos, like my son is watching our Fortnite videos, so like... The guy has the big kill moment and oh, what, what is there an ad right there? And then you come back from the ad and he dies. And you're like, right. D what? What, the, what? That made no sense. But now I get it. That, that makes a little bit more but sense. You, it's, we're coming from placing the ads narratively. They're coming right. from placing the ads for revenue. Like where right. is the ad valuable? Where is the ad sticky? Where will the ad not be skipped or moved away from, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting, interesting dynamic and difference. Uh, I'll say this. If Spotify puts in mid-roll ads without a revenue share in place, I'll say it myself. I'm taking my show off Spotify. I don't, uh, I don't have a big enough listenership there on any of our shows or, or the shows that I produce to justify that. Um, like it's not a, a large amount of money that I'm losing, but principally I would be opposed to that. I'm okay if they continue to do like Stitcher has done in the past, which is run ads in between content. Um, you're going from my episode to your episode to another show. Fine. Put an ad in there. That's fine. Um, uh, you, you know, you have to pay for your platform in some capacity and they are providing like Apple and other directory for us to promote our show through, et cetera, et cetera. There are listeners that are only Spotify listeners that might find my show there. So there's a reason to be there. That'll be the line, Jay. If they get to that point and they start running ads in the middle of the show that I don't get money from, I'm out. <laughs> it's what I've been warning people for a long, long time. But in any case, uh, Eck continued, uh, 
talking about some of the listening trends he's noticed on Spotify. So the number of verticals, while the general perception today is that it's typically pretty male-dominated, very techie talk shows, that that was like the perception of podcasting years ago. The engagement that we're seeing in terms of our content is we're very good progress across scripted content, true crime being a massive category for us and growing very, very fast. Daniel, the, the one you get it. I already gave you credit for getting it, but do true crime has been a ginormous perception of podcasting for years now. I would dare say serial is the one that put true crime on the map. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, there were lots of true crime podcasts before that, but the reason why your grandmother started a true crime podcast is because she heard about serial. <laughs> like that's that, and that and that happened. The first. That was the first podcast movement, right? Was, was 2014? Something like that. That came out? Yeah. I mean, it's a long, like, it's a long, it's half a decade now, at least. Yeah. Like, I, I would definitely not, I mean, podcasting, as we know from medicine research, is still actually male dominant, not by much anymore. There's definitely more female listeners. It's not techie talk shows. I don't know where he gets that from. As a matter of fact, as we were talking earlier about, Think about where we are today versus where podcasting was back in the day and some of the names that we knew. Do you ever hear anything about This Week in Tech anymore? No. No, that's it's exactly what I was thinking. Twit was one of those that was like a huge deal in the beginning. And among, like in my little circle online. And Leo Laporte. Yeah. Like he was a big voice in podcasting. And Leo, Leo is still a big deal for my little circle online. But again, I run in those tech circles. I am an Apple aficionado. I listen to a ton of, of tech industry shows as well as, you know, these other genres that I enjoy. If you're outside of that realm, that's like you talking about Adam Carolla earlier, though. I feel like Adam Carolla once upon a time was huge because the podcasting industry was very small. I feel like mm. the vast majority of these people who came in, for instance, because they had a particular interest in true crime for instance mm. Did, have they ever heard the name leo laporte have they ever heard the name adam carolla i mean maybe adam because of mtv but probably not is my point like on a smaller scale i will use myself and i do this as humbly as i can there are circles i'll go in if i say pod vader they they look at me funny like why, why do you have such a silly nickname there are other circles at the last pod at the last uh, podcast movement, I was going to buy lunch uh, at one of the Philadelphia that, that Philadelphia market there, and there happened to be a gentleman who was standing next to me. And he's like, "Do you mind if I get a selfie with you?" And I was so honored. I was like, "Of course, I have no. I'm just a dude buying a burger at this stand. Absolutely, I'll take a selfie with you." It's just depending on what type of genre podcast you're in, you're going to recognize different names than not. And Pod Vader in the sports circles gets recognized way more than if I reach out to parenting yes. podcasters. <laughs> yes, yes. And then that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Uh, we've all got our own little fiefdoms. Uh, Jay, why don't we, um, there's one more article here, but why don't we kick that one off to next week and let's go ahead and do our currently listening, make this one a little bit shorter episode as it's a light week for news. Uh, last week you and I both had some nostalgia. You did a wrestling show. I talked about, uh, um, cheers weekly, which I am enjoying thoroughly, by the way, I'm almost finished with their first season of podcasts and, uh, it, it is a very good show. In fact, it's turned out to be, um, this week, it's some more nostalgia for me. I discovered a podcast. I think I had heard about this podcast once upon a time, and then I'd been like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool, and then I hadn't gone and looked. But this week, I saw an article about uh, an R.L. Stein book series called Fear Street. R.L. Stein, one of the young adult fiction novels from my childhood. Uh, of course, he wrote the Goosebumps series. He had a little bit older series called Fear Street, which is, uh, I don't know how many books there are. There are a bunch of them, but all of the events of those books take place on, imagine it, Fear Street, named Whoa. for the patriarch. They've, there's this big mansion at the end of the street owned by the Fear family, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. All right. So this article was talking about that saga in particular and general nostalgia about young adult uh, fiction and horror books in particular. Uh, but one of the things that was referenced in it was Teen Creeps, a podcast from two comedians um, that 
goes through not only the R.L. Stein books, but all of the young adult pulp fiction from my youth. Uh, their names are Kelly Nugent and Lindsay Katai. Uh, as they say, they discuss the, U- the YA pulp fiction of their awkward neon youth. Uh, I love this show. So I got excited about just the idea of the show existing at all. And the cover for the podcast is very, very cool. It looks like a young adult fiction horror novel. It's awesome. It's the two uh, hosts uh, reflected in a pair of sunglasses and there's like spattered blood under the sunglasses on a table. It's awesome. Um, I started listening to their episodes on the Christopher Pike series, The Last Vampire, which is one of my favorite young adult series of all time. I read it right in that transition period as I was starting to read adult novels too. And it's like super fundamental to who I am as a reader and in a lot of ways as a person. Christopher Pike was very influential on me as like a, you know, adolescent and um, prepubescent and postpubescent. Um, it's just a very, very influential on the way that I thought as a kid. This series is so great, too, because it's two grownups. They're very funny, discussing, obviously, the way that these books affected them then, the way that they think about the plot lines and stories and situations now, uh, reflecting on how all of this has influenced pop culture in the last 20, 30 years, et cetera, et cetera. Like so many of the writers of a lot of you know, very prominent shows and films and books today were directly influenced by people like Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and L.J. Smith, you know, a bunch of these writers from my youth. So fascinating, fascinating podcast series. I've really been enjoying that. I listened to probably seven or eight episodes so far of that one too this week. Uh, and they've got a ton out there. This has been going on for a long time. So if you are like me, a fan of this genre, you've got a really large back catalog to go through. It's in the show notes, uh, linked there. Teencreepspod.com is where you can find that. I loved it. Loved it. That's awesome. Just to pile on there, you talk about the novels of our youth, uh, a couple of podcasts that I, I've worked with in the past, The Bloom Saloon, uh, which is uh, basically a Judy Bloom book podcast club where they go chapter by chapter of the Judy Bloom books. Uh, all of her books, by the way, too. Uh, not just the young adult novels, even the adult uh, graphic novels, if you will. Uh, a very interesting podcast there. And the Real Weird Sisters, uh, who uh, do the Harry Potter books. Um, but they do more than just recap the Harry Potter books. They also uh, do fun shows where they'll take other fictional characters and they will, you know, put them through the sorting hat and figure out, you know, well, what what house does uh, the Incredible Hulk belong in? Oh, he's Slytherin. Or, you know, things of that nature. And by the way, I just totally made that up off the top of my head. Uh, but that's uh, sort of the thing that they will the do Bloom on Saloon, their particular the podcast. <laughs> you, you, you totally... You totally blew my mind with the Bloom Saloon. I am I am looking at the website right now. This is going to be what I listen to the next week, I think, probably. I was a huge fan of Judy Bloom going up. Uh, and, and so many of those books, again, are like central to who I am. It's awesome to have – like maybe I don't want to go th- read through those whole series again. But the podcast can give you that refresh of the idea, can take you back to that time and place in a smaller bite size. Uh, format. I love this. I love these kinds oh. of podcasts. It uh, looks like I may have to start the Encyclopedia Brown podcast because I loved Encyclopedia Brown. Are you, you telling read? me there's not one? Not, not from not what I can see, I can see there's a specific podcast done by NPR interviewing Donald Sobel, who was the creator of Encyclopedia Brown, but does not appear that there is an Encyclopedia Brown specific podcast much like the bloom saloon or uh teen creeps pod that you're talking about so yeah so there's a there there is a show i've just found here called um it's called the hardly boys book club <laughs> not hardy boys <laughs> but hardly the hardly boys book club and they at least have a few episodes or, or at least a, an episode on encyclopedia brown would be interesting no yeah i'm with you uh, that's again, another great series. I read a ton of those growing up. Um, it would be very, very interesting that as I was listening to the cheers podcast this week, I started thinking, and I'm sure there is one, I haven't done any research. 
but I'm we're my wife and I are also watching through MASH. I'm like, I bet there's a good MASH podcast out there too. Like to talk about some of the pop culture references and fill in like what was it what was happening in the world at the time that this premiered and like what are the connections between the Korean War displayed on the show to the Vietnam War that was actually taking place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like I, I would love to hear about all of that. So I think these companion podcasts for pop culture works, especially nostalgic ones. They're all wonderful. But Jay, that's not even what you're listening to this week. What are you listening no, to? No, no. What I've speaking of nostalgia and pop culture, I've been listening to the Mighty Marvel podcasts. Uh, all you have Ooh. to do is go to marvel.com slash podcasts. Uh, they have a variety of different podcasts to listen to. Uh, this Week in Marvel, I think, is a great one. Uh, sort of think of like a magazine-style podcast where they'll do interviews with some of the creators, but they're also talking about the the news that's happening uh, coming out of the Marvel offices on that particular week. So that's a good one to listen to. The Women of Marvel is obviously geared towards all the women that are creating in Marvel. Uh, women love comic books, too. Uh, they're just as geeky as us boys. Uh, so they have a, a a great podcast to listen to, but they also have a couple of shows and this is something that we had an article in our show notes for quite some time that we never got to, but they also do a couple of recap TV recap podcasts specifically to their runaway show uh, and cloak and dagger. And I believe they also have one for the agents of shield, but that's obviously in hiatus as agents of shield is also in hiatus. And Netflix has been doing this, too, where they're getting into podcasts specifically that are recapping the shows that are featured on their particular platform. Every single creative company like this needs to be doing this because the independent podcasters are eating your lunch. And the, the publisher uh, of Encyclopedia Brown should make their own Encyclopedia Brown book club podcast to talk to the creator and get the behind the scenes discussion of like what what inspired you to write this particular story? You know, how did you come up with the idea that Encyclopedia Brown was going to figure this out, you know, much like Columbo does on a weekly basis? You know, uh, one more question. Uh, by the way, two weeks in a row with Columbo. Or was it, or was that two weeks ago that we did the Columbo? Anyway. It was a couple of weeks ago. I think we got onto Peter Falk. <laughs> the point is, uh, Every single creative company should be doing their own recap, the official recap podcast, because otherwise an independent podcaster is going to do it and they're going to do it way better than you're ever going to. And they're going to steal your audience away. There's no point in letting that audience go listen to somebody else's opinion about your particular product. Control that conversation as much as you possibly can by putting out your own particular content. And obviously they also have scripted content. They've done the Wolverine, the long night. The second season is now available for free uh, called The Lost Trail, which I will be binging to here uh, very soon. Um, this is Marvel puts out some great content, obviously, as a movie, as movie content, as comic book content. And now uh, they've had podcasts for a long time. You just probably didn't know. I, I did not know they had this many. I didn't. Agent M, who hosts the This Week in Marvel show, uh, I follow him on Twitter, and so I was aware of that one. I knew that he has another show called The Pull List, where they talk about like this week's comics, basically. That's a pretty good one, too. I've listened to that in the past. Um, he does a great job, first of all, managing there's a lot of their social accounts as well, but also in this podcasting space, he's done a great job. The thing that just occurred to me, I was just thinking about, Jay, how great would a daredevil podcast be you think about playing in the audio space with a blind character and mm. being able to showcase his superpowers through an auditory medium in some way boy that could be very very cool i've i've I'd literally just that just popped into my head just now but that would be uh, a really really interesting format to reintroduce that character now that he's back completely in the fold for marvel studios now uh you know the the netflix series has been canceled i think pretty soon it won't be another year or so until we get an announcement that he's somewhere uh on marvel tv but in the meantime they could use him in the audio space and that wouldn't break the contracts with with netflix i be i bet the only thing would be I would want to get that sound design because I remember when I watched the Netflix series, the sound that the show made to show you how he was seeing things because you actually could see they, they obviously brought you inside his brain so they could show you what he saw. 
um, however he was seeing it, but the sound that they used to to make that all happen and the way they designed that was absolutely brilliant. And I would want to do the same thing, or I'd hope the same thing would be done on a podcast, an audio version as well. They have Somewhere that sort of, yeah, you know, that, that sort of, whoosh, oh, it's that 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 could be very compelling. But they've got you're 100 so correct. A blind so character being yeah yeah well, blind so, so, character being featured. Oh, that'd be that that's a no brainer. Wolverine was a good choice too because you got uh, any any character where they play well into the like um, noir detective role, sort of a man alone trying to figure out something that can play very well in the audio space. It's what we've already seen a lot of other uh, audio fiction do, and and I think that's you know, a trope or a genre that's well-tread and easy to access or adapt into that format. I hope that more things come out of them. I'm always a big fan of everything that Marvel and Disney are producing. So um, you're right. Lean into the podcasting space as hard as you want to Marvel. Check those links. They're available in the show notes as well. Um, Jay, for you, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, need your help on a project, how do they go about doing that? At the real Podvader on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Podvader page to get in touch with me there. You can also send me an email, nextfanup at gmail.com, the easiest email to reach me at as I check it quite often. And yeah, there you go. Joel, how about you? Yeah, you can find me at The Rogue's Life on Twitter, or uh, all my other stuff is linked at my website, propodcastingservices.com, where you can also find uh, this show and all of the archives thereof. Not only do we have, you and I have got 26 episodes or so now where we're talking about the podcast industry, but before that, Jay, there's like 120, 170, I don't know, there's a bunch of them, uh, reviews. I've, we, Jay, Josh Shirley and I, my former co-host for this show, we've got a ton of podcast reviews uh, to help you discover your next favorite show. A lot of those uh, maybe aren't so time sensitive. For instance, I was looking through the archive the other day. We, we talk about um, the BS report, which of course Bill Simmons, mm. I think, has on three different networks since then. You know, he's moved around a bit already but uh once upon a time he had a podcast called the bs report uh anyway uh i i think that that archive though is still great because a lot of those shows are uh evergreen just like we've been talking about there there are shows that you can continue to discover uh into the future especially the audio fiction stuff and the narrative the more entertainment or the reshow rewatch uh podcast like we've been talking about pop culture stuff where you're working through a um, a different show or a movie or a book series or whatever, all that stuff's good whenever you decide to come to it. So check out the archives. Until By the way, there's week. a guy, there's a guy, Bill Simmons, who totally gets it. Probably a lot of people, unless you're inside the sports world, have no idea who he is, who leaned in heavy on podcasting and created The Ringer basically off of the back of podcasts, not so much off of the blogs that he has available on the ringer website. It was the bulk of his business was formed off of podcasting. And really, I mean, he, he did that through ESPN. I mean, he became a name because of the ESPN brand. His, Correct. His great talent, obviously, but he had the, the, the megaphone of ESPN to establish him as a large brand, but kudos to him. He took that and walked the hell away with it. He said, no, I'll take that. Yep. Thank you very much. In a different way than you look at like Dan Patrick, for instance, did years before Dan Patrick took made his own network Bill Simmons did that on a smaller budget with less investment. How did he do it? He did it through podcasting. You could do it too, sir. Build your own house. That's what I say. Build your own house. Make sure it's a badass clubhouse. <laughs> That's right. All right, Jay. Until next week, uh, we have been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I am the Night Monkey. <laughs> and we are always listening. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Raven.
Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.